Welcome to all of us here in the sanctuary and online, as well as in Waterbury, in Derby, and in New Milford. It's uh, great to be together. And um, I've just been incredibly inspired this morning. Uh, I've been praying about this for a while, and I think today I saw the confirmation come together that Dad's in Motion will begin this week. So if ever, anyone who is interested, uh, Brian, Pastor Brian Prue actually uh, said he'd lead that group. Um, they'll be the shortest songs that you can imagine, maybe just one chorus, because Adam, you seemed a little out of breath there after you made those three moves on the stage. But look at me making fun of you. I wasn't re- willing to do it. <laughs> oh, it's so good to, to worship together. You know, today we're talking about what it, what it means and why it's so important to gather together in the name of Jesus. We got, we got a chance to feel it, experience it this morning. Um, just so you know, I'm not going to be bringing any, uh, any guilt upon you because you're here. <laughs> you already know what it means and you're already passionate about, about gathering in the name of Jesus. In fact, I don't want to bring guilt upon anybody today, uh, whether you're online, whether you're here, whether you watch this later at another time. What I hope to do is get you excited about the power of gathering in the name of Jesus today. That's my goal. Tell me at the end if we've arrived. The scriptures are going to help us today because it's such an incredible passage. But let me remind you where we started last week. Arise and shine. Listen to the verses that we read. Uh, uh, Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. Rise, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you. And his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And what we're reading here is this call to go on mission for the sake of the Lord. It's the mission of God that he has called us into all those years before Jesus even came. We see that the plan was being un, you know, unleashed upon the earth and we get to be a part of it today. The Lord's church, that's us, his people are called to, to shine, to rise and to shine, to be a beacon of light. You know, when we first looked at the campus in Waterbury, one of the things that I was so excited about was that it was on um, uh, Bunker Hill Avenue, just like we have a campus on Dorwin Hill Road, and we have one here in Walnut Hill, and it always reminds me, sorry, Derby, no disrespect, you're not on a hill, but, we, but you're right there in the center of a community, and you're a light as well, but it reminds me we are a light on a hill. We are lighted on a hill, and we can't, that light can't be put out as we allow the Lord to shine through us. And again, remember, that shining isn't just our own effort, is it? It's the Lord coming and moving in and through us. I want to give you context to this great passage of Scripture that we read today, because we skipped ahead to chapter 2, and chapters 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 are incredible. Some of the most exciting scripture that you're going to read. In fact, I want to encourage you, starting tomorrow is our reading plan for the book of Acts. It begins tomorrow. If you didn't get one of those little Acts journals, grab one on your way out. They're in the Fellowship Mall, and they're in every campus where you can grab them. We want to go on a journey of reading the the whole book of Acts together from now until February. But I want to give you a little context so you can understand maybe a little bit better about what is going on in the verses that we're looking at closely today. This is Peter's second volume that he's writing to this person called Theophilus, who is a Gentile convert. What's his first volume, do you know? Yes, the book of Luke, that's correct. Come on, you can participate, it's okay. I heard one voice, but I know you know. A lot of you know. Luke, that's right. And now he's writing this second volume, Acts. 
Now, Jesus had risen from the dead. That's what he's sharing with this Theophilus. And I assume that Luke knew this was going to get read widely. Jesus had proved over the, over the course of about 40 days that he had truly risen from the dead and he had shared with his disciples what his purposes for his life, death, and resurrection were all about. And he was giving them instructions on what was to come. We see throughout the New Testament that our faith is meaningless without the reality of the risen Christ, friends. And we have these proofs that these authors were trying to show us that Jesus truly did die 100% dead and rose 100% to life. That's what he wanted to share. He told them, he told those disciples, stay in Jerusalem until the promised Holy Spirit comes. Now the disciples were still quite unsure about what was going to happen next. They hoped that Jesus was going to now restore the kingdom of Israel. And I think they had in mind, as we've talked about through the book of Matthew this last year, I think what they had in mind was that Jesus was going to go rule on the actual throne in Israel and push Rome out, and he was going to be like David, the king of old. They wanted that conquering king. They wanted to see that happen. And they still didn't completely understand the suffering servant component of who Jesus was, the Messiah that he was. This is the one who conquered and defeated sin. And I'm not sure they totally understood it yet. But the Spirit was going to make them witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, the whole known world was going to be touched through the disciples and the Holy Spirit. So on the Mount of Olives, what happens? Some of you have been with me in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, and it's an awesome place because so much happened right there looking over the city of, Gal- Gal- I'm sorry, the city of Jerusalem. He's there with his disciples, and what happens? He, he rises up into the sky, and the disciples are standing there as two angels come and say, don't worry, he's coming again. He's going to come in the same way that he left. Now, the, the disciples are good listeners. They hang around in Jerusalem until the day of Pentecost. What is Pentecost? It's seven weeks after the celebration of first fruits. So seven, 50 Pentecost, okay? That's the, that's the significance. Now, we celebrate Pentecost seven weeks after Easter. Makes sense, right? 50 days after Easter to celebrate what happened as the Holy Spirit came. Now, on that day, listen to what happens here. The sound from heaven was like a violent rushing wind that filled the house that the disciples were in. Fire fell on them, and the Holy Spirit filled them, and they began to be able to speak in languages they did not know. Just think about this for a second. What an amazing and powerful moment. They were experiencing something they had never experienced before. Now, I'm not saying that they hadn't experienced the filling of the Spirit at times, but the Spirit before Jesus giving it to us completely freely would come and go in different situations at different times. And now, all of a sudden, they were filled, and the Spirit wasn't leaving. What a powerful moment. And it was such a loud noise Sometimes I thought about this when I first read it as a youngster that perhaps it was just, for in, just in that room, you know, like an overwhelming sound in that room. But listen what happens, happens next. It was so violent that people came rushing towards the place where they thought that it had come from. And a crowd starts to gather. So this had to have been very loud, right? Very loud. Something that they had never heard before, that they would come rushing to see what had happened. And there these disciples were, these Galilean men and women, speaking 
languages that they did not know, and we see that over 15 regions from around the known world were represented, at least 15 regions from around the known world were all hearing this new message of the good news of the gospel in their own language. Wow. Wow. What a day. What a day. Incredible. Something new was happening. Something amazing was happening. Something that has carried over to this day was happening. Here's what Peter says. Listen to these words. We actually sang them in the song today from Joel chapter two. This is part of his sermon to the people. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. Whoa, whoa. And it will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke, which are representative of the things of the Old Testament when God fell down, right? But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't it sound a lot like Isaiah 61 through 3? Another, these two prophecies side by side? Powerful. Now, Peter goes on. This is what he says. Acts 2, 32 to 33. God raised Jesus from the dead, and, he, and we are all witnesses of this. Again, the witnesses of the resurrection. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven, at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. It's happening today. Verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Lord, conquering king in the line of David. Messiah, suffering servant, who died for our sins, conquered sin and death. Amen? So the people said, what should we do? They were pierced to the heart. What should we do? You know, in past situations, sometimes the people would would rise up and rebel, but in this moment, something so amazing was happening that they said, what should we do? And it says in Acts 2, 38 to 39, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And what happened? 3,000 believed, and they were baptized in the name of Jesus, then and there. Wow. Let me pause and pray, because this story is just so awesome. I want it to just sit in your heart for a second. Lord God, thank you for this incredible gift that you poured out upon your people, and you pour out upon us today. Thank you that you've called us to be the church. Lord, may the rest of the words of your word And of my words, help us to better understand what it means to be church today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen to what we hear throughout Scripture when it talks about in the name of Jesus. I'm going to just kind of popcorn through some of these things. 1 John 3.23, believe in the name of Jesus. Throughout the book of Acts, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Acts 3.6 and Acts 3.16, they were healed in the name of Jesus. Acts 9.27, they preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Acts 16, 18, and 19, 13, they cast out demons in the name of Jesus. 
Romans 15.30. They joined in the struggles together in the name of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.2. They were made holy in the name of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5.4. They were called together as the church in the name of Jesus. Ephesians 5.20. They gave thanks in the name of Jesus. Philippians 2.10. They bowed in reverence in the name of Jesus. A couple places in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. They lived productively in the name of Jesus. John 20, 31, they, li- they lived life by the power of his name. What's the common denominator? Why would I share all those things? The common denominator, action, transformation, change, power. Power, right? Things that you can't do on your own, but by the, po- the power of the Holy Spirit, look what happens. That's That's what it means to be in the name of Jesus, to gather in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name. This this made me go back to some thoughts we shared last week about the persecuted church. I think sometimes it's easy for us to ask, why does the persecuted church risk meeting together? Do you remember that story I told last week of the gentleman who was imprisoned for gathering some people in the name of Jesus in Iran? I'll tell you why they do if you ask them which I've had the opportunity actually to do that, it's because they know the power of being together and it's worth, worth the risk to them. They know that transformation, they know that the power of the spirit is best experienced in community and to them, it's worth taking the risk. I'll leave that with you for a second because it should speak to us, I believe. See, the church, the word Ecclesia in Greek is the word for gathering. The church doesn't exist if it doesn't gather. We're meant to assemble, to congregate. That's what the word means. And the church never has been and never will be the buildings that we meet in. We call them the church, yes, but they ne- it never will be what it is. The church is the people called by God, those who arise and shine And they do it in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen? That's who we are. We are on a mission to arise and shine for the sake of his kingdom and to do it in his name. So there's power in the name of Jesus, isn't there? There's also power in the preached word, in the taught word. Listen to the words again. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the Holy Spirit transformed 3,000 people on day one. Amazing. But it says that they still needed and wanted to learn. So they, they, fat, they, sorry, they sat at the feet of these apostles and disciples because they wanted to be taught. They wanted to grow in their faith. So this concept that has sometimes been popular in Christianity of anti-intellectualism, you know, the Holy Spirit will teach us everything. We don't need to learn. We don't need to go to school. There's really no place for it. Now, I believe 100% that the Holy Spirit illuminates scripture to all of us, the most educated and the least educated, which is wonderful. But he also wants us to submit ourselves to good teaching and preaching and good opportunities for learning and growing. He does. He wants both. He wants us to rely on the Spirit to to speak to us and grow us and change us and transform us. You can do that every day as you go to the Word of God, but he also wants you to do this thing in community that you might learn and grow in ways that the Lord has showed us right from the very beginning of the church are the most effective ways to learn and to grow. Now on the flip side, we have to be careful because particularly in the Western world, 
we've got a big problem with the cult of personality. And in the first century church, there was no place for it. No place for it. What do I mean by that? I sometimes hear, and thankfully not so much here in Walnut Hill, Adam and I don't really feel like we can really emote the cult of personality here at Walnut Hill, but we don't want to follow so closely after a person or persons that we forget that that experience in Christ is for each of us in ways that we don't need to rely on that. Listen to what Paul says. He, he says this throughout scripture, but one verse I wanted to grab for you, 1 Corinthians three twenty-one to 23. Don't boast about following a particular human leader, for everything belongs to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death or the present and the future, everything belongs to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. What, he's, what is being said both in the Acts passage and here is that it's all about us. It's not about him or her who's up on the stage. It's about how we are on a journey together. Amen? That's important because we can go astray and be led astray if we put people on pedestals in inappropriate ways. Paul, who was one of the greatest teachers, you know, a former Pharisee, so the guy knew how to teach, constantly was saying, don't put me up on that pedestal. I'm just another man serving the Lord Jesus. Not only, though, were they gathering together to hear from these apostles and preachers and learning together, but they were, being, they were learning how to feed themselves. Friends, we, we need to do the same. There's plenty of places in Scripture where it says, go from spiritual milk to spiritual solid food, and we need to be on that journey. Each of us could be on a journey so that we can get to a place where we can actually invest in others. The crew model that we've talked about you for many talked about for several years really has that in place where yes we we learn from others yes we travel with people that we're on a journey with but we also want to invest in others and the lord wants us to take us on that journey so my question is where am i and where are you learning and growing what do we learn from the early church when it comes to preaching i think we see that whether in larger groups small groups or even on their own there's this hunger there's a hunger, an expectation for the power and presence of God. They took for granted because it was first century culture that the best way to experience that power and presence was in community. Our 21st century world is very individualistic and we can sometimes lose the power of this. But I want to tell you, friends, that the best way for us to grow in Jesus is to, is to commit to do it together. Commit to go on a journey together. That's what the church is meant to be. Why? Because it's a community where our focus can shift off of me and onto us. And so often we get stuck on me, don't we? We talk about my best life. We talk about where I'm going, what I'm doing. But I think the Lord wants us to, to get that focus off of self and on our community. You know, I hope you come hungry each and every Sunday. I hope that those of you online also have personal in-person community to accelerate your growth because I think growth acceleration comes through these types of connections, this journeying together. I mentioned it early, but have you committed to, to reading Acts together with us this year? I hope you will. Have you found a place to go deeper in the book of Acts? We've got classes available in lots of different locations and environments. And then are you growing in your ability to feed yourself? And as you do that, 
as you become more mature, even be able to invest and feed others. That's the power that comes in preaching and and the teaching of the word. Next, there's power in the presence of the Holy Spirit. When I see our kids leading worship, it, it just goes, it goes straight to my, to my heart. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm searching for Kleenex every time I see our kids worshiping in the ways God's called them to worship. Because there's, there's power in that presence of the Holy Spirit in these situations. I just love that. I think this immediately made me think of a silly story that I hope illustrates something. Years ago, Amy and I were new in ministry. We, we, just, we, had, we didn't have two nickels to rub together. It was, we were, it, was, it was tight. And we had one vehicle at the time, but we had a growing family. It was getting difficult to function in Connecticut where you can't walk anywhere with one vehicle. And, and we had a friend who said that we could have a vehicle of theirs. What a great gift. Problem is it had been sitting in their driveway for maybe a couple of years. And they, you know, they said, do with it what you will. I, I'm a very, very amateur mechanic, but I like to tinker. So I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. Worst case scenario, I, you know, I just have to get rid of it. I got it home, and it, I'm telling you, it was misfiring the whole way. If it was running on two of its four cylinders, I'm surprised. It barely made it home. It was sputtering. I had to keep restarting it, but I got it home. And I did a, just a, a basic tune-up, spark plugs, wires, cap, rotor, oil change, just the simple stuff. And then the moment of truth comes. When I start it, is it going to really, is it going to fire on all cylinders? It did. It did. It did. I I drove that car for like five years. It was awesome. All it took was that simple tune-up. But the church, friends, without the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our midst, is a lot like that car running on two cylinders. It's still the church, but it's not functioning at full capacity. I don't want to run on two cylinders at Walnut Hill. I don't want to run personally on two cylinders, and I don't want us as church to run on two cylinders. So what solves the problem of low power in our vehicle, in our church? I think it's prayerful expectancy. Are you coming with prayerful expectancy when we gather? I gotta admit, as I prepare for this sermon, I felt like the Lord was saying, Craig, you're not hungry enough. Oof, that hurts. But it's true. I think it's true. I think I need to get a little more hungry for, the, for his presence, for his miracle-working presence in my midst, in our midst. How hungry are you? How hungry are we? How much do we come with expectancy and excitement to see what God's gonna do today? It's the same God that did what he did on that first Pentecost that we serve today. And yet I, I think I probably dishonor the Lord by not coming with that high level of expectancy each time I, I gather, whether it's in here in the sanctuary or somewhere else. That was convicting to me. I hope it is to you and it, that it spurs us on, all of us, to come with a higher level of expectancy. The scripture says there was a deep sense of awe that came over them. I wonder what that was like. I went looking for another passage that talked about it. I went to the Old Testament because I was, I was reminded that these disciples and apostles, they were teaching from the Old Testament, remember? They didn't have the Gospels yet. They didn't have the, the writings, the epistles. They're, they were teaching from the scriptures that they had. So I believe this is the kind of scripture they were going to. Deuteronomy ten twelve, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God 
and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. Now, when I read this, I said to myself, he only requires that, <laughs> right? Do you, do you read that and think that? He only requires that? It sounds like he requires all of that that we have to offer, doesn't it? Not just a little, it's all. Live to, we're supposed to fear him, which means putting him first or at the center of our lives. His way, not my way. I don't, I don't always like that. We're supposed to live to please him, not, which also means live not with pleasing myself as the, at the center. Live to love him. Live to serve him. And do it with all my heart and soul. It's a lot. But that's what a deep sense of awe is. That's what a fear of God is. It's a surrendering to Jesus that leads to more power, more presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst. That's what it takes. And if it leads to more of that miraculous at Walnut Hill, I want it. Don't you? You know why I want it? Because I want to see more of you see the power of God, but I also want the word to get out there that this is a place where God is at work. Now, I think that is happening. I don't want us to leave feeling bad, but I think he would love to do more. And I think there's something we can do to see more. And it's about expectancy. It's about prayerful expectancy. It's a hunger. This, this passage goes on to show the action steps that come out of this kind of expectancy. The power in providing for one another. Listen to these words. All the believers met together in one place. <clears throat> they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now, some people have tried to take this and use it as a proof text for communism. That's not what's happening here. It's true. This is, this is a group of people that are so transformed by what God is doing that they're caring for one another at a very deep level. That's what's happening here. They still had private possessions. They weren't giving everything up, but they were doing things that were radical to care for one another. The scripture is, that's used here is a word called koinonia. Have you ever heard that word? The Greek uh, common language is called koine Greek, common Greek. And so it's holding things in common. It's saying, it's not mine. It's the attitude that Adam was alluding to when he was talking about our, our giving at Walnut Hill. It's saying, this isn't mine anyway. This is the Lord's. And so when he calls me to give it away, whether it's material things or it's my time, my talents, I do it willingly because it's not mine anyway. It's just the Lord's uh, giving it to me to be a good steward of it. And that's what we're seeing here. And it's one of the foundations of the early church. And thankfully, I see it played out here at Walnut Hill as well. But I think as we come with that expect expectancy, we'll probably get challenged more to go further when it comes to giving ourselves away. That's what the Lord does. He wants us to serve one another. And he gave us the greatest example in Jesus Christ, right? I mean, he came to serve and to seek the lost. He went to the greatest of extremes to do so, didn't he? He gave his life on a cross, a criminal's death for you and for me. He is the ultimate example, and he sets this hallmark for the church, and there's also, friends, there's power and praise. We got to feel it again today. We got to experience it. When you're here in the room, you, you just experience the power of the praise of the Lord. And I'm not gonna speak specifically about our worship praise as we sing. 
I want to talk about a few other things. I want to talk a little bit about our diversity and our unity because as you read about this passage, a lot of people will say that the greatest miracle here in Acts 2 is that all these people could get along. I mean, these people were coming from everywhere, from all different backgrounds. And somehow, these can you imagine the chaos of 3,000 new converts? What if that happened here in our midst? 3,000. And now, amen, absolutely, we hope it happens, but it would, it would be a little bit of holy chaos, wouldn't it? Especially because we know we have such a diverse group of people that are here in our midst. We had an image of be, becoming a more diverse community at Walnut Hill years ago, and we've been seeing it happen, praise God. And the, you know where the image came from? It came from Revelations 7, 9 through 10, the, the description of the family of God. A, multi- a multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, and it describes the worship. We want to become a family together. We want to join together with one voice. We want to give praise and glory to God, and we best reflect the family of God in our differences and our diversities. It's a beautiful, beautiful experience that we get to have. You know, in the fellowship mall a couple weeks ago, I met a whole group of of new friends that I hadn't met before who are originally from Nigeria. I love that they're becoming part of this community. I met a new friend who's come from Brazil fairly recently. His name's Rocky. It was great to meet someone coming in and finding community here in this uh, tapestry of Walnut Hill. Let me explain, why do I, am I even sharing this with you? Because I want to take a couple minutes to tell you what I think our calling as a church is. I think we have a clear calling of the mission of Jesus, yes. But then we have, I think our congregations of Walnut Hill also have a calling, a specific one. And I think I stole this from Clive. I've stolen a lot of things from him over the years. This is one of the ones I I have held to because I think it describes who we are. Imagine lots of streams, you know, know, water streams, streams coming through Connecticut. Not hard to to imagine here in, in Connecticut. I believe that we are the place where the streams come together. We're the convergence of the streams. Now listen, there are a lot of other streams of Christianity and they're doing good things and no, not dispar- disparaging any of them. I just think we've been called to be that place where the streams come together. Now that is a rough place. You ever been to a place where you see streams come together? It's a tumultuous place at times. It can be kind of rough. You know, if you're big into kayaking, you know it's probably the most fun place to take your kayak because that's where the, water, the, the rough water is found. But it's also where life is found. It's where life is found. It's not the calling of every church, but it has been really from very early on the call of Walnut Hill Community Church. It's one of the reasons we have that word in our name, Community Church. What does it mean? Well, when you come to our starting line class, we, we share this every time. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Sometimes, on some topics, because we're coming from lots of different backgrounds, we're not going to agree. We don't mind that. In fact, we embrace it. It's a beautiful thing. We get to hear different experiences that people bring. Now, on the essential issues, we do need to have unity. Those, those issues that are, you might call have to do with salvations, the salvific issues, kind of the creeds, if you will. That's, those are the central things. On other things, we hold them a little bit loosely. We'll have a great debate together, but we're going to do it in love. 
we're gonna do it agreeably. We're gonna disagree agreeably. In worship, we've got people coming from every tradition in this church. We've got conservative Baptists. Don't have to raise your hand. You might not want to admit it. (laughs) We've got folks who come from Pentecostal backgrounds. We've got folks who come from Catholic backgrounds. On and on and on. It's where the streams are coming together. We're all in it together. So on Sundays, we're going to take our cues from Paul's writing to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a book I'd encourage you to read if you want to understand the whole picture. The whole context of this chapter is to let love be your highest goal. And the whole concept of even order in worship is about letting love be our highest goal. So a couple of examples from the chapter. Don't talk over others. It's rude. Take turns. That's what it says. People who have the gift of prophecy are in control of that gift. It's not an ecstatic gift. So be gracious. Don't talk over each other. Take turns sharing what God is sharing. Those who speak in tongues, again, you're in control. And if it makes people uncomfortable or there's no one to interpret it, probably better to hold and wait till a more appropriate setting. Now, was Paul squelching the spirit? No, he's just putting into practice what he shares throughout scripture. He says, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. What does it mean for us practically at Walnut Hill? We want as many people as possible to meet Jesus here, as many as possible. So as your shepherds, Adam and I, and your elders and, the, and our leaders here, we're gonna err on the side of the person on the journey who's trying to discover Jesus, especially here on Sunday mornings. But then we will provide other places where there's what you might call a bit more freedom in worship. We're gonna be having prayer gatherings in every campus where we're gonna be able to do things a little bit differently. We're gonna, there's other opportunities, other places, community groups, ministries that really dive deeper into certain things of the spirit, there's gonna be places for those things. Now, not every church takes this approach, and I'm not criticizing those church churches. We take this approach because this is our calling as church. This is the, the church that we've been called to be. Why do I share all of this? Because I want you to know the context for what I hope, and Adam and I hope, we will see moving forward. We want more of that deep sense of awe amongst us. More. We want more miraculous signs and wonders in our midst. We want more of the prophetic, more hearing God for others. We want more of it, not less. But we want to do it with more of us, not just some of us. So if you have a prophetic word, we're sitting over here all the time. Come share it. We want to hear it. Maybe it's appropriate for the, for the service that day. Maybe it's appropriate for something down the road. Maybe it's an encouragement to us. Who knows? But don't hold it back. You believe the Lord is speaking to the church? Submit it. Don't hold it. You sense the Holy Spirit is at work and wants to move in a particular way? Don't keep it to yourself. There's opportunity to see what God would want to do. This is the passage that captures it for me. This is out of the book of Colossians. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Friends, that's what we're called to do. Isn't that a beautiful calling? It's a beautiful calling. Isn't it wonderful to gather together? You know it, you're here. It's been wonderful to gather together. You know, one of the things that 
the early church has done from day one all the way till now. It's what we're going to do right now. Communion. Share in the Lord's Supper. Why do we do it? To remind us of what Jesus did. To remind us what this is really all about. It's about knowing, loving, serving our Lord Jesus. It's about being transformed by him. We don't do it in and of ourselves. We don't transform ourselves. No, the Lord comes by his spirit to transform you individually, to transform his church corporately. And we want more of it. We want more of it. Why? Because it will not only bless us, friends, but remember what we talked about last week? It's going to bless everyone else out there. They're going to hear about what God's doing. You're going to have testimonies. You're going to be a witness to what God is at work doing. And you're going to have an impact. And we're going to see our seats filled. I believe it, truly. We're going to see people who have not been back come back. We're going to see our community groups grow, our men's and women's ministries grow, our children's ministries grow, our youth get more involved. We're going to see our gifts fired up and used for the sake of his kingdom, friends. That's what it means to be the church. But we have to come with expectancy. So even as we come to the table today, I want to invite you to come expectantly. I'm going to invite the worship team up and our servers to come down.